Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen one on truth serums, which originally came out in April of 2013. Turns out what we always thought was a truth serum was actually just a handful of goofballs. Enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant back in the saddle again, man. It's been a while. That was a goat boy being whipped. That's you. You're the goat boy, right? <laughs> Do you remember Goat Boy from Saturday Night Live? Uh, yes. What was his name? What, I don't, Jim Brewer? Yeah. yeah. He was Goat Boy, wasn't he? I think so. Was it called Goat Boy? Great classic SNL character. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thanks. Um, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, man. Good. Inject me with truth serum and ask me. <laughs> and then you'll get the truth. It may or may not work, though. <laughs> and it's not even serum. You know, um, we've got a a pretty cool case coming up where this is going to be used. Uh, Well, cool? Well, no, but I'm saying, like, a, a, thank you for correcting me because, no, it's not cool. It's interesting. Sensational. Yes. Yeah. And uh, this is actually what made me think that we should do something on Truth Serum was the James Holmes case, the Aurora, Colorado yeah. Batman shooter, yeah. um, who has been saying that he's insane or acting insane uh, ever since he was caught. But a lot of people think maybe he's not so insane. Right. And uh, a judge just recently in the middle of March uh, approved um, him to be tested under narco analysis yeah which is or narco interrogation really is what it is yeah it's unusual these days in the u.s for something like that to happen and a lot of folks are saying what's up with this judge like are you for real yeah and it turns out that there is a very long history yeah especially in the 20th century of people using what has been popularly dubbed truth serum but incorrectly dubbed truth serum because it doesn't necessarily generate the truth or uncover the truth and it's not a sera yeah. Watery part of coagulated blood. Is that right? <laughs> is that all it is? I, I believe so. And I think there's a plant-based sera as well. But either way, none of that is, none of the truth serum drugs that they use are serums. No, and we should probably get out of the way right now that um, LSD, not a truth serum or a truth drug. Uh, Okay. <laughs> uh, well, no, that's what I think most people think about when, when you think of being interrogated under the influence of drugs, that they give you LSD and start oh, really? shouting at you. That's what I, I never would have thought. thought that. I had no idea about this. But it, it reminds you, you know, you harken back to the days of the polygraph when that first started. Yeah. It was like, well, okay, society is saying we shouldn't beat people with rubber hoses to get the truth out of them anymore. Sure. And it's possible that this isn't even the truth. They're just saying what we want to hear because they want us to stop. Yeah. So let's try some other techniques. And as a result, you had the polygraph, truth serums, which we're going to call incorrect or no. That's what they're called, basically. Sure. Um, because there isn't really a clinical name for them. Is there? Um. Uh, I don't know. Nar- narco-analytical drugs. Well, that's kind of like the, yeah. I just made that up, but that's really what it is. So basically, there's two reasons why you would use truth serums. And they come down to uh, narco-analysis yeah. and narco-interrogation. And the one I should say that James Holmes is going to undergo is, I guess, kind of a combination of both. Because they're trying to get at the truth of his sanity. Sure. 
Um, and but at the same time, it will be interrogative because he's a, a suspect in a, a massive murder trial. Although I would say that's just the psychological, because the other the probative truth is they're trying to get a revelation of a crime. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. And not necessarily their mental state. Yeah. So those are, those are the two differences. Is are you trying to say, you know, inject you and say, did you steal the painting? <laughs> what? Yeah, no, that's a good one. Art, th- art theft. Yeah. We've done podcasts on that. Or, um, like some sort of psychological truth that they're trying to uncover about themselves. Right. Uh, and that one, as far as truth serums go, is probably the one where it's, the drugs will be most effective. Y- yeah, sure. Because it's kind of unlocking like an unconscious, um, revelation. Of yeah. a person like uh, uncovering a, a neurosis that that maybe they didn't understand that they had. Now it's there's some sort of catharsis that these drugs have allowed to just kind of let their guard down, sure. and now they're they're flowing out with a catharsis, and they're feeling better afterward. Yeah, and most of those studies too have been uh, not been on like prisoners, but maybe volunteers and things. So it's a more friendly environment, right? So maybe they get further that way, but we'll we'll get to all that. All right, so let's let's talk about the uh, the history of this, Chuck. Um, they're not so old. The idea of using drugs to get the truth out of somebody, and actually, there was a uh, Texas doctor, Doctor House, for real. Yeah, the real Doctor House, <laughs> Bobby House. He uh, he was a Dallas, Texas doctor, uh, an obstetrician, and uh, back when he was delivering babies, they were using a combination of chloroform. Morphine and scopolamine, which you may have heard of before if you've ever taken um, uh, motion sickness drugs that patch is scopolamine. Yeah. Uh, and he noticed that when women were on this combination of drugs, they tended to be very candid and forthright uh, with stuff sometimes that didn't have anything to do with the childbirthing process. And Dr. House said, hey, I wonder if you could use this on criminals. Yeah, and truthful. That's the most important part. Well, yeah. They found out that they were accurate, and so, yeah, he said, you know what? Who's who's not forthcoming and who doesn't tell the truth mm-hmm. are lying, lying criminals. Right. So maybe we should ins- get them pregnant <laughs> and then give them scopolamine. Right. Actually, you don't have to get them pregnant. And uh, he sort of resisted the whole truth serum thing. Uh, supposedly, that came about in 1922 at the Los Angeles Record. Yeah, was when it was first used. The but newspaper. yeah, he eventually would uh, come around and embrace that term and use it himself because, you know, once things take hold in the public consciousness, you just sort of have to give in. Yeah, and he uh, he in that way kind of resembles though the uh, the inventor of the polygraph, or the guy who brought all these dif- disparate parts of the polygraph together, uh, William Moulton Marston, the guy yeah. who invented Wonder Woman. Just kind of became a promoter of his sure. law enforcement tool. Of course, sells comics. Yeah, but he found out that it worked the first time not by getting a bunch of guilty guys found guilty, but of a study with three men who said they were innocent. Uh, he gave them the scopolamine. Um, I guess interrogated them, found that they still said no, I'm innocent. All three of them. Yeah, and then they later got off. That's Even right. though, like, all the evidence was was against them. They didn't get off because of the truth serum. That was a separate study. Right. He just kind of compared the two and said, hey, this is going to work like gangbusters. Yeah. And despite that, I guess, sort of success, um, I guess he cer- certainly touted it as such. But um, there haven't been a whole lot of studies on scopolamine. Um, just a few different 
cases they've actually had like police interrogations mm-hmm. using scopolamine and interestingly and I totally buy this because it kind of harkens back to old movies just the threat of it was sometimes enough to induce like a confession yeah and that reminds me of the movies of the guy approaching like with a needle in his hand right exactly squirting it in the air and yeah. saying you you know if you have ways of making you talk yeah and exactly. all of a sudden they go well screw it I'm just I don't want that junk yeah and I wonder I if, did it's, it. if it's because they had committed so many crimes that they hadn't been caught for they didn't want to implicate themselves in a bunch of other ones maybe and they were just being utilitarian saying I'll give you this one I bet it was more they were just like you know it became a big thing in the public consciousness like truth serum and so they didn't know what was going on right well also if they were using it um, enough that it had gotten out how unpleasant the whole experience was maybe that was what they were protecting themselves against because um, there were a lot of psychological um, effects, including uh, falling asleep. Um, What's wrong with that? Babbling. What's wrong with that? Becoming delusional and having hallucinations. Those are great. Um, and then the physiological effects far outlasted the uh, psychological effects. Yeah. And you would have probably dry socket, I get the uh, impression, of of the mouth. Your mouth was so dry that like your sal- your uh, saliva glands dried up, too, which is extraordinarily painful. Yeah, and that they would actually use that in surgery, too, because they wanted you to have dry mouth right. in surgery. Yeah. But uh, also, like, headaches, rapid heartbeat, blurred vision, it didn't last long as a truth serum because no, of these reasons. It didn't, despite um, Dr. House's efforts. It did kind of fall to the wayside. But if you are... Um, interested in scopolamine there's uh basically a, a legend that colombian drug gangs use this uh, if you go down to colombia oh, yeah, yeah and, and you order a coke you better watch them pour it because they will dose you with scopolamine they being colombian drug gangs they're living in the 1920s yeah and <laughs> they i guess one of the effects that it has is um amnesia and but you're still conscious and, and moving around and, and hanging out and using your ATM card to get the money yeah. for them because you're very forthcoming with whatever is asked of you. It sounds like one of those things like uh, the old white traveling wives tales. Like it, it, it definitely does sound like that and I'm sure it is largely but the, uh, I read a, a Vice magazine article on it and uh-huh. supposedly the author went down to Columbia and found all this stuff out firsthand. It was pretty uh-huh. eye opening. You ever seen Flirting with Disaster? Yeah. Remember that Mary Tyler Moore had the story about on the highways, they'll bump you in the car and then get you to pull over and then rob you. Yeah. And then they get bumped on the highway and they think it's they're being robbed, but they're not. I don't remember her in that. Yeah. She was uh, the adoptive mother of the Ben Stiller character. Really? Yeah. She was great. Um, So Scopolamine, eh, X'd out. Scopolamine's out. Uh, Up next, we have everyone's favorite truth serum, barbiturates. And they were discovered, not barbiturates, but they, the, to use them like this was discovered by accident by Arthur Lovenhart. And, uh, he was at the University of Wisconsin, go Badgers. And he was doing some, uh, experimenting with respiratory stimulants and injected a dude who was catatonic, mute, and rigid. And all of a sudden, he loosens up, opens up his eyes, and talks a little bit. Yeah. And they think, wow. You know, this could be a big deal. This just seems like this drug woke this guy up and we are getting information out of him about his life. Maybe we can use that as a truth serum. Yeah. So they started to, um, a, a guy named, uh, Clarence W. Molberger, uh, head of the Michigan Crime Detecti- Detection Laboratory in East Lansing, started using barbiturates. And these are, um, if you hear of truth serum being used in any narco interrogation, including James Holmes's, um, 
you uh, you're you're they're talking about the use of barbiturates. These are the only ones who have been proven to even possibly uh, uncover some sort of truth in an interrogation. Right. Um, so you've got uh, amobarbital, uh, thiopental, and secobarbital. And um, any of these three, a.k.a. yellow jackets, pink ladies, goofballs, red devils, all those guys, any of them should be in the hands of an expert capable of um, producing some sort of truth or at least to get somebody talking. And they aren't quite sure how, but they think possibly that the cerebrum uh, is detached, the cerebrum which monitors the higher functioning of the cerebellum uh, is detached and so doesn't say things like, uh, you don't want to say that. Uh, you should probably stop talking now. Right. That's what they think is happening. So they have used those with some success uh, anecdotally, or I guess not anecdotally, but in experiments, but they still have the battle of actually using them in an investigation because courts aren't prone to allow, you know, a confession if you were doped up. It depends. I mean, this judge in the James Holmes Aurora, Colorado trial said, go to it. I sign off on it. Which means that it should, be, it should be admissible in that, that judge's courtroom, you know? Well, that's not a confession, though. That's They're looking for his psychological wellness, again. It depends. And I kind of have I've been thinking about what you're saying. I don't we know, I don't know because they, they... Right. But is he faking? Is he malingering? And sure. this is how, how barbiturates have been used as truth serums yeah. in the past. Um, one of the uh, first cases, one of the first studies was carried out by a couple of people named Gerson and Viktorov, and they used sodium amytal to interview 17 uh, suspected malingerers at Fort Dix, New Jersey, basically some uh, some army guys who were thought to just be lazy and shiftless and faking an injury so they didn't have to do army stuff anymore, right? Right. So they gave these guys sodium amytal, and they found that um, they were forthcoming seemingly against their will about their conditions, about faking it or not. Right. That is true. Uh, they did not tell them they were going to be taking this. They sprung it on them. Yeah, like a minute before. Yeah, and they uh, interviewed them before they took the amytal at all by a psychiatrist. So I think they wanted to get just a comparison. I guess, a, I don't know if you call it the control, because it was the same people, but at least a control interview. Right. Then they dosed them up and... Yeah, and they said they had no no say in this. They had to do it. That's right. Um, and it diff- the, the difference between that and the therapeutic is... Uh, who wrote this? Do, you, do we have an author's name? Yeah. His name, he works for the CIA, is George Bimorell. So Mr. Bimorell <laughs> points out that the setting and the type of patients and the kind of truth is going to make all of the difference. So it depends on what you're looking for and what kind of setting. Because like I pointed out earlier, when it was like student volunteers, it's way more friendly. And a lot of them reported like, oh, I feel euphoric and this is great. I'll tell you whatever you want. Right. Not criminals who are hiding a crime. Yeah. So um, Bimerell points out that the uh, the rapport between the interviewer and the uh, interviewee is extremely important. Sure. And it's that, important anyway, you know. Yeah. And that one of the flaws or... One of the significant points about that Fort Dix interview um, or experiment was that these people still fessed up to being malingerers, even though there was a hostile attitude toward the interviewer because they didn't have any choice in the matter, and the guy sprung it on them. Yeah, and they also manipulated them, and I think this is one of the reasons that I didn't find any cases where the court had actually admitted a confession, drug-induced confession, to Uh, a crime. Really? 
No, I, I mean, I saw all sorts of uses, but never one that said, all right, we put this guy on drugs and he confessed and we can use that. Did you find any? Yeah, there was a, in, in the 80s, a New Jersey man shot his ex-girlfriend at point blank range. Uh-huh. Um, and he uh, said that he had seen the devil when he did it. Right. Uh, and he, he used a, a narco interview to basically have his sentence cut in half. And it worked. But again, that was psychological wellness. That wasn't confessing to a crime. Right? right. No, that, they, he was guilty. There was psychological wellness. Or yeah, that's wellness. what I'm saying. Yeah, I, right. I haven't I found you. a single case where the confession under a drug was allowed. So I see what you're saying. And yeah, it, it also said that the judge is um, judge didn't allow any use of the words truth serum or, right. um, or barbiturate or anything like that. But the psychologists and psychiatrists who gave their opinion of this guy were allowed to use that narco interview to help form their opinions. Right, exactly. But yeah, yes. So I guess it is just kind of um, a, a tool that you can't use in court, but you could use to right. kind of further explore other evidence, right? Well, and one of the reasons, which is what I was getting to, was that the uh, they would manipulate people. Like when these soldiers were coming out of this state to a more fully conscious state, they would lie to them sometimes and say, hey, you already confessed, like all this stuff. Like in Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you have amnesia. You don't form any memories. You're physically incapable of forming memories when you're under the influence of barbiturates at a certain point. Yeah, they think they've used this before on terror suspects, like in the 80s. And, uh, of course, it was a big part of M- MK Ultra, our favorite sure. government program of all time. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should say what, what, there's different stages to being under the influence of barbiturates, right? There's the sedative stage. There's unconsciousness where you are hyperactive, but you're unconscious, but you're, you got the Jimmy legs. Uh, there's unconsciousness without reflex, even a noxious stimuli. Uh huh. And then the last one is death. So, uh. Can't help out at that point. Right. And you can also see why you would want to have a skilled physician present at this uh, interrogation because yeah. this is a possibility which is also one of the problems killing somebody um with using it sure you can't just like the joe cop can't administer this stuff right and joe cop even if he could couldn't just give you pills no this has to be done uh, through an injection and what they do is they take you into the sedative stage which can be um divided into three planes uh, well, Bemerol does at least. Plane one is, there's no really obvious effect. Plane two is ca- cloudiness, calmness. You're kind of a little high. Yeah, you forget everything. Yes, but you still kind of have your wits about you, is, is from what I can tell. Plane three is slurred, slurred speech. Like that? You're right. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the third plane, man. Um, old thought patterns are disrupted. You have an inability to integrate or learn new patterns. Uh huh. Also, form memories, poor coordination, and you're unaware of painful stimuli. And this is what they call the psychiatric work stage. Right. They get you to this stage, which only lasts for like five or ten minutes. Yeah. And then 
well, I'm sorry, they get you to unconsciousness, that first stage of unconsciousness. Yeah. And then as you come back out of it, you pass through that third stage and they start asking you questions. Yeah. Then as you start to become more and more conscious, they inject you again and make you unconscious yeah. and then you come back out of it. And they may do this like several times. Yeah. There was one psychotic prisoner who's given a gram and a half of barbiturates. Wow. And, um, over the course of this interview. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably a pretty long interview that the guy underwent. And that's a lot of barbiturates, you know? Well, yeah, but that in, that's one of the problems. These are heavy drugs and like the, back to the Fort Dick soldiers, some of them experienced delirium and fantasies and delusions and said that they have kids that they didn't have and that I, I'm going to kill my stepfather who was already dead. Yeah. So it's kind of like, Sort of just throw it all out the window if, at that point, you know. Like, well, we don't know what's the truth and what's not. Exactly. So I guess c what what they'll do is they'll uh, put you into sleep, bring you out, ask you questions, and they probably write down everything you oh, say. Oh, sure, yeah. And then you, they'll go back and fact check that kind of stuff and see what they can use against you, or. Or in addition to probably, as you're coming out finally at the end of the interview, yeah, there there may be some things that they they know, like if they suspect you of something and you say something that implicates you, yeah, they they'll they'll probably work that up pretty hard when you have no memory of it, or sure. they'll just lie and say, yeah, you were you admitted to a lot of stuff. Do you want to talk a little more about it? Exactly. And you think you're I'm caught. your friend, right? Have you ever uh, have you ever been with Yumi when she's coming out of like twilight sleep for a procedure or anything? No, uh, she's she's been there for me though. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, that's where you get the good stuff. Yeah, uh, if if you ever do have some questions ready, um, or your tape recorder, like Emily had to go under not too long ago, mm -hmm. and uh, I went in and I was I was like typing everything she was saying to me because I wanted to read it to her later. That's awesome. It's pretty funny. She thought they were throwing her a party, and because um, they had like the curtain that they pulled around the hospital bed, you know. Yeah. And she thought that they were decorating for a party. And I wish I remembered everything she said. It was really funny. <laughs> and then, you know, when I had my tooth done, I said all kinds of crazy stuff Yeah. to the doctors. Yeah. I'm sure that's the best part of their day. Are there recordings of that? No, I don't think so. Yumi records me when I'm talking in my sleep. Oh, really? Yeah, it's really intrusive, man. And then she'll play it for me the next morning and laugh and laugh. And you'll delete it? <laughs> no, no, she's got it all on, on tape still. Oh, really? Yeah. I would get rid of that stuff. I'm, I'm trying to. I don't know where she keeps it. <laughs> Um, all right, so you pointed out one thing that they actually did mention in the article, too, is that persistent and careful questioning is the only way that you're going to reduce these ambiguities that are going flying around. Like, it's not just like a regular interrogation. You have to understand that you, this person is heavily drugged. Right. And you got to weed through a bunch of stuff to get to what may or may not be the truth. And here's the big thing about using narco interviews, narco analytical interviews if you're a skilled interrogator you should be able to get all this from the same person without the use of drugs well that's what they say too right yeah. most of the experts said i would have eventually gotten to this point had i just done it clean yeah had i had enough time yeah. or had had we had somebody in there who knew what they were doing more to right. interrogate the person we would have gotten the same thing so I, yeah i have the same impression that barbiturates are a shortcut as far as getting to like probative truth um you know right. to use in like a, a narco interview or interrogation yeah um it's it's a little bit of a shortcut but it also makes it much harder like you were saying for even the most seasoned Interrogator, because there's so much baffling stuff that they include right. that may or may not be true, that may or may not be related to anything. 
that that can actually kind of cloud the truth more than if they were just sitting there lying. Yeah, well, and if you're just Joe Cop, you may not be some trained psychologist, and a lot of times it helps to yeah. weed through that stuff. I think Joe Cop should stay away from the, the barbiturates and the suspects <laughs> at the same time, you know? Um, benzedrine has actually been used as well. Uh, you wouldn't think stimulants would be effective if you were trying to question someone, but uh, benzedrine and uh, methadrine, they found... Which is amphetamines and methamphetamines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hardcore speed. Pharmaceutical speed. It was what Neil Cassidy like died doing Benny's. speed and scoplamine. No way. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. How weird. At this wedding. Um, <laughs> I just saw the On the Road movie. This made me think of that. Um, I don't remember him dying in On the Road. Especially no, he didn't on... die in On the Road. Oh, okay. But he died. You know, Neil Cassidy was the real dude that sure. the character was. But in real life, he died at some wedding I in Mexico, and uh, they sort of. But it's not necessarily in the movie. He'll just have to see it. So, uh, is it movie in again? Um, I mean, are you an On the Road fan? Yeah. I mean, it's very faithful and it's very beautiful, and the casting was great okay that was what i was worried about the most they, they do a good job with it and but you know how tough it is to make a coherent like <laughs> traditional movie out of that book right so i think he did a good job yeah i enjoyed it okay uh so anyway hardcore speed was used uh, for a while because they thought that there was so little time for them to consider formulating a lie that people when they're on the speed would just barf out everything as quick as they can right and just talk, 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 talk. Right. So uh, if you're going to do that, you could still maybe formulate a lie, even though you're talking really fast. Right. So let's put the barbiturates and the uh, the methamphetamines together right. and see what happens. Right. And I, I think he mentioned that at least one study that found, like, yeah, it kind of works a little bit. At the very least, if you're in Motley Crue. a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're a Motley Crue. <laughs> um. I just finished their autobiography, by the way. Really? Yeah, that's what made me think of that Is it one good? Too. Oh, it's amazing. Is it really? Yeah. That's cool. I'm surprised those dudes are alive. Let's just put it that way. Oh, I'm sure. So, J.M. McDonald, he's a psychiatrist uh, in Denver, and he's had a lot of experience with this, and he is one of the people that that is pretty hardcore against the confession aspect of it. Like, we can use it for a lot of things, but we can't use it to, as the truth of a confession of a crime. That's just sort of his stance. Here's why. He's. Do you remember the psychopath I said that got a gram and a half of, of barbiturates? Yeah. This guy was... Um, totally in control. He was completely self-possessed, as I, I think they put it, um, throughout this interview, and actually was asking more than once, like, hey, can I have another injection? <laughs> I've, I have a feeling he's a serious drug user. Or, 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 yeah, or yeah. at the very least he was after that. Sound like he had experience. So he, uh, he, and he, they, he didn't give up anything. And what, what McDonald thinks, and what I think a lot of uh, psychiatrists believe, uh, is that if you are a um, very self-possessed person with a strong mind and, a, yeah. a, I guess, a strong will, you might put it, sure. you're not going to give up anything. 
all the way until unconsciousness. They can knock you out, and you're yeah. not going to say it. He even faked amnesia as part of the whole ruse. Right. Have you seen um, side effects? Not yet. It's good. <laughs> you're not going to say anything else? No, no, no. No spoilers. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, well, you're exactly right, though. He uh, He faked all this stuff, and if you're neurotic, on the other hand, or the kind of person who is prone to confess like a guilty conscience type anyway right exactly like you you uh you feel relief by yeah. by ex- by telling people things then you're more likely right so it depends on who's asking what they're asking who the, who the person under the drugs is uh a lot of different factors on whether or not it's legitimate at all right so uh chuck like we said this is a cia white paper from 1993 that we're working off of it's a white paper yeah it is <laughs> um and it was recently declassified. Pretty cool paper, if you ask me. Um, although there, it, it is really kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, I, the structure. Sure. I, I, I've become an admirer of it. I know you're not, but I, well, it's okay. I liked it. The guy's in the CIA. He's not a professional writer. He did a fine job. So he, uh, he, he points out that, okay, I'm in the CIA. How do we use this for the CIA? And he, he, says that it has been used before, for example, um, to find out if uh, a foreign subject knows a language oh, that yeah. they say they're not, like maybe they're actually a foreigner, a double agent or something like that. You get like, I don't know, speak English, and then all of a sudden you get them under the, uh, oh, under the shell of the... Thanks for the drugs. <laughs> exactly. So they can sniff out someone who says they don't speak your tongue. Right. Um, and he says that the uh, one of the problems is you're going to have a hostile interrogation. Right. And rapport, like the um, the some of the guys in this field of psychiatry have done studies on this, show it's really important. But he, he kind of comes to the conclusion that if you use a doctor, you have automatically somebody that's universally trusted to some extent. Sure. And if you use a doctor to conduct these interviews, you're probably going to have a little more rapport. And if it's a doctor who knows what they're doing with interrogations, then, you, you, yeah, this could be kind of useful. The problem is, is in the West, as he puts it, mm-hmm. the use of truth serums is not, it's not, it's frowned on. Sure. It seems unfair. They've like done it behind it, the Iron Curtain, though, right? They Wasn't Russia big into it? No, he found, the, the CIA writer found that there was two mentions of Russia uh, and truth serums. Oh, really? And in one of them, they said Russia doesn't use these. I don't buy that. <laughs> That's what he says. And he's a CIA author. Right. So you'd think he would know, you know. Was that from the Comrade Files that he found that? <laughs> right. Or was it like real information? Uh, he he was doing, a, I guess he was doing a survey of publicly available stuff. So gotcha. I, I'm sure the Russians wouldn't be like, yeah, we use this stuff all the time, sure. chief. Um he did say that okay, if we're not going to use it, our guys should be aware of what of possibly having to experience this. And there's only one way to train somebody, and that's to do it to them. Oh, really? So I'm wondering, as a result of this 1993 paper, how many CIA agents yeah. have been you know dosed up with barbiturates and, and given the third degree? Because that's what this recommendation was. It's like if you're an agent, you should be tested on this and not only will you know it give the agent the the um first-hand experience and you should videotape it so they can see sure they didn't actually talk about this so they they can't be manipulated into saying oh you said a bunch of stuff right still no right yeah 
but also it gives the agency the awareness of like how much this person's going to give up under under interrogation when they're drugged. Yeah. And maybe they shouldn't be sent to Latvia. Maybe they should just be sent to Brazil instead. <laughs> That's a good point. So like testing the dudes to see how they would react in the field in case they're in some back room somewhere. Right. And um Bemeral? Yeah. He uh he also suggested, remember we said LSD doesn't work as a truth serum? Right. He suggested that agents possibly be given LSD. So if they're about to be dosed with truth serum, they can take some LSD and just start going crazy, is how he, he puts it in, in essence. <laughs> All of this stuff they say will be bizarre and unreliable. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff, huh? You got anything else? I think that's about it, man. Yeah, I'm curious to see how this Holmes trial, what happens with that, because oh, yeah. there's so little... Like, I think it was, uh, well, you said you got the idea from seeing that. Yeah. I was going to say it was coincidence, but I guess not. No, no, no. But like, there's very few cases to even uh, draw upon these days, so well done. Well, well done to you, too. Can't wait to see what happens, Mr. Yeah. Holmes. So, uh, truth serum, we'll keep an eye out for the James Holmes thing. That's right. Uh, if you want to learn more about truth serum, you can try the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. But you may also want to read this uh, CIA white paper, Truth, Drugs, and Interrogation, by George Bimerel. Uh, and it's from September 1993, published by the CIA. <laughs> uh, and now it's time for listener mail. Yes. Josh, I'm going to call this one... Uh, oh, I can't remember what this is. That's oh, what I'm going to call it. Wait, wait. Let me stop you for a second. Oh, yeah? Before we get to listener mail... Um, we need to give a shout out. Remember how we said, remember our horror fiction contest? Oh, how could I forget? And we said that any of the people who entered uh, as thanks, if they went on to publish anything, let us know and we sure. would tell everybody. Well, one of our horror writers, Melissa Menini, uh, has a, story, a short story called The Hanger that's included in an anthology of women horror writers called Mistresses of the Macabre. It's available on Amazon.com and on DarkMoonBooks.com. So go check that out. Um, yeah. Excellent. Way to go, Melissa. Congratulations. Okay, now it's time for listener mail. Sorry. That's right. Um, we are going... I was able to title it in that brief break. <laughs> this is uh, Aaron's Grandpa, is what I'm going to call it. Hey, guys. Today at work, I was re-listening to older podcasts when I heard how tickling works. And I was delightfully surprised to hear you call out for stories about Disney, in particular fascinating ones about the dark side. Um, this isn't one of those <laughs> emails, however. But my grandpa, Ron Brown worked as an actor for Disney in the late 60s to the late 70s, making movies and TV shows with animals, and also behind the scenes doing animal taming to a point and training. Uh, he was well known for being able to train bears, but most loved for his strange assortment of critters he would bring home from work to entertain my mom and her siblings. Uh, during her uh, childhood, she had a pet squirrel, skunk, and multiple pigs that would make their home in her bed. Uh, he was the lead in two movies, which I uh, am almost positive you have not heard of, Charlie the Lonesome Cougar and Lefty the Dingling Lynx. And I have not heard of either one no, of those. I haven't. Disney was pumping him out, though, you know. Sure. Uh, even though he never made it big in Hollywood in his older years, he would always tell interesting stories of hanging out with John Wayne or how uh, he was one time in an elevator with Walt Disney himself. He chickened out telling him how much he loved all the time spent working for him. Wow. Uh, when he moved to Sequim, Washington, he helped move retired show bears up to the Olympic Game Farm, where he would continue to train them and impress tourists while making bears uh, do fun tricks. And anyways, I love my grandpa very much, 
and I mostly just wanted to share these memories of him that have been passed down to my favorite podcasters. So that is from Aaron, and she uh, sent a photo, too, of uh, Grandpa Ron with John Wayne. So he wasn't making that up. Wow. It's pretty cool. That is cool. So, uh, Aaron, we love stories about cool grandpas, and thanks. For sure. Thanks, for Aaron. And thanks to your grandpa for being a cool grandpa. Exactly. Um, if you want to tell us about your cool grandpa or any cool relative that has a pretty interesting story, whether it relates to the podcast or not, we want to hear them. Uh, you can uh, tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And our home on the web is our website, appropriately titled Stuff You Should Know. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 